Mit schlechter Fünf der. Thursday and you know what that means or maybe you don't welcome to episode 38.5 of the ABZ football podcast I'm Gary Scott joining me today it's Gavin J Baxter Gav how's it going I'm very very tired <laughs> so this comes at a real opportune time before we even get started on the main on the main course have you seen the Mark McGee thing from today I have just been uh, linked up my mate Mark sent it through to me and that is spectacular stuff so even when the shit is hitting the fan up north it's always good to know that it could be worse it's always sunny in dundee i told the players we're not going to win that many games this season <laughs> just just what you want eh just what you want that motivational factor from your new manager coming in listen lads you lot are shit <laughs> and we're not going to win a lot of games and so the important thing is how you you pick yourself up off the floor from being shit because you're shit and how you react to it. Amazing stuff. I mean, just, <laughs> I think Andy said it the other week. He can never be unemployed in Scottish football ever again. He provides way too much, way too much entertainment. Yeah. Just every season, one team just takes the hit. <laughs> yeah. We've already done our time. Yeah. We're, we're past. It's fine. Us, Motherwell, Dundee we're now. done. Yeah. Dundee now. Yeah. You're done. Um, but here we are. Gav, uh, I was going to say, usually if we've done two of these mini episodes now, so uh, what does it mean if we're out on a day that's not Wednesday? I don't or know anymore. I don't know. Tends I... to mean that, yeah, something's happened that's uh, <laughs> elicited quite the reaction. We've done it for, for Jim Goodwin's appointment, and now we do it for the news that emerged in typical Aberdeen fashion yesterday, <laughs> around about an hour after the release of our podcast. Absolutely. Of course. What, what other way would you do it? Um I mean, yeah, Gav, another whirlwind 24 hours in the life and times of Aberdeen Football Club this season. Um, and I think we were thinking about doing this yesterday, and I think actually in a weird way, it maybe is better to have spent 24 hours just kind of digesting the goings-on from yesterday, and, and maybe some slightly cooler heads can can prevail on things. But obviously the big news uh, yesterday that broke was the fact that, as per the kind of press reporting that was coming out at the end of last week, and at the start of this week, that contract talks between the club and Andrew Constantine had ceased and that Constantine would be leaving the club at the end of the season. Now, it's pretty fair to say that it was a pretty um, aggressive or bold statement that came from the club yesterday. Uh, Jim Goodwin, his name's on it. Um, we'll maybe come to that in a minute. Seemingly spitting feathers about the fact that a conversation between himself and the player that took place on Monday had been leaked to the press via Scott Burns uh, late on Tuesday evening is when the, the first uh, press releases appeared on this. So I guess just before we get into the weeds here, Gav, because there's actually a shitload ton pack out of this, just your initial thoughts, just on the news generally that Constantine will depart in, in the summer. Mixed feelings is how I surmise it. Um, Andy's been an incredible servant to the club and... I think there's still value in him remaining. But when it comes to these kind of 
contract situations with someone like Considine, when it comes to anyone really, the, it, the deal needs to be in the favor of the club. And from what we can gather, yeah, it's just that's there's they've just not been able to come to terms. And in some way, I'm I'm it's impressive or kind of inspiring because like it's it implies that yeah, there's no one's safe anymore in a way, and that's something that I feel like the club has been quite a, a safe space to be for players who have not been performing or, you know, not even been available in some, in some cases. Um, so I think it's showing that Goodwin is stamping his authority on the, uh, on the team and the club, obviously. I don't know exactly how much Goodwin's got in terms of um, a hand in transfers and situations, but he will have always been told what Considine's counter-proposal was to the original offer and decided that he's not worth it. So, yeah, it's encouraging that sense. I saw someone say on Twitter that, you know, Jim Goodwin spoke with Alex Ferguson when he was up here very briefly. And if there's one thing you can say about Alex Ferguson, it's that he was ruthless when he felt that players needed to be moved on. You just look at Manchester United with, you know, the likes of Beckham, Yapstam, even Wayne Rooney at the end, and even Aberdeen with Joe Harper. So that part, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. But yeah, the, it's probably more the the nature of how this news has come out that is uh, disappointing. And also, Constantine has been such a great servant to the club. And two more years, we could have seen it at 20-year, possibly even a second testimonial on its way, which would have maybe been more befitting the status that Constantine has with the club compared to his original one. So yeah, pretty mixed feelings. Um, and yeah, I guess the the way it's all come about is the the factor that's left the most uh, sour taste in my mouth, shall we say? Yeah, and I think it's interesting because you just touched on it there, talking about in our two years. Um, let's move on to this. I guess it would appear that the length of the deal was the real sticking point. I mean, and we'll come on to some of the other details that were in the press release yesterday in a minute. But Richard Gordon alluded to this in his P and J column. On Friday evening, so that's before the Dundee game on Saturday, um, the, the, the length of the deal was the, the, the sticking point. And that for me is a little bit surprising because Considine signed a 12-month deal last time around. That was just a year ago, obviously. <laughs> um, and he was kind of delighted to do so. So it seems odd to me that he and his agent were pushing for two this time around. I mean, as we've spoken to player players, they're always looking for the the best contract they can get. And perhaps he was looking for that level of security with a new manager being on board and maybe felt he had a safer space at the club with, with Stephen Glass being in charge. Yeah, hard to say. Um, who knows? Maybe he's had an offer elsewhere that says that he can, that's on the table for him if it's not going to be Aberdeen. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, from my own perspective, I, I personally think the club were absolutely in the right to only be offering him a 12-month deal. I mean, most clubs, most proper football clubs, will generally have a policy of once a player's over a certain age, they will only get one-year deals anyway, full stop. That's that's all the law for them. For me, you know, Constantine's 35 now, He's coming off the injury he's just come off. I think to give him any more than 12 months would have been absolute lunacy, to be frank. So I've got no issues with the club actually deciding, you know what, we, we can't go to two years. It just ain't happening. No problem. And I also expect that that would have had to have been on a reduced 
salary as well for again for a whole number of different reasons and again I've got no issue with the club attempting to negotiate him down from where he is on his current salary I've got no qualms with that at all yeah um likewise I've seen ticks on it today but you know I I can't remember who said it but someone said I'd love to be low-balled with a six-figure annual salary at the end of the day if it's a contract if it's a pay cut you know not many people are going to take that quite frankly so you can understand from player and also from the club's perspective but yeah I'm in agreement that anything more than 12 months would have been ill ill conceived at the very least and this is exactly right at the same time Constant and his agent they're absolutely his agent's a guy called Elliot Fillingham I think is his name at the same time, they're entirely within their rights to try and negotiate, to offer a counter-proposal. That's what they'd expect to happen, I presume. They'll be looking at the first offer that's come in as being, you know, any negotiation generally works this way. The first one will be not really the offer. You come in with a counter, which would be a wild counter, and then you try and meet somewhere in the middle, and then everyone's happy and moves on. So, considering his agent, as you touched on, they're entirely within their rights to try and negotiate that position. There's no issues either from me in that perspective. I think that try to push for an extra year by the agent is foolish. You know, I, th- I think his client basically had the opportunity, almost a job for life, basically here on the coaching front. Yeah. Um, what I think is interesting though, and I think this is something that's been kind of missed a little bit with everybody. It, everyone's got very emotional about this over the last like two or three days. Um, but the timeline is interesting that the club put out in their statement yesterday. So if, if you take the club at the word on this, Andy was offered a new deal on the 10th of February. Now, crucially, that offer, that, that date means the offer was made to when Stephen Glass was still the manager. Glass departs two or three days later. The 10th of Feb is the day before the Motherwell Cup game. Um, the timeline then indicates that Andy Considine's agent offered a counter-proposal on the 23rd of March. So it's quite a big gap there, actually, between between initial offer and, and and counter. But never mind. And it would it would kind of appear from the way the club have talked as well, and from everything that came out via Scott Burns, that from the club's perspective, that was it. Like there was no willingness to negotiate or discuss the counter offer that was put in front of them at all. It seems as though they were very much. That's well, sorry, you take what he was given first, or that's it, the deal's off the table. And Richard Gordon's column on Friday afternoon, so that comes before the chat that Constantine has with Jim Goodwin on Monday, the one that's the subject to, oh, that's been leaked. Uh, Richard Gordon's column seemed to indicate that the level of the length of deal was the biggest stumbling block. And Richard Gordon and Andy Constantine are pretty pally, so I'm going to presume that's come straight from Horace's mouth. Now, it's in the gift of the club to decide whether they want to enter further talks or further negotiations. There's no question about that from my perspective, but it seems a little odd. Even speaking to some guys today who are in this game, they were very much, they were very surprised with the fact that the club decided they would just, or from what appears to be the case, that the club just withdrew the offer straight off the bat as soon as I counter. They were kind of saying that in that situation, I would normally expect there would still be some more dialogue going on. I'd be very surprised for them to do that. Now, I'm going to put a tin hat on here for a little bit, and this is always a bit dangerous when I do this, but don't worry, I'm not about to go full Matt Letissier. Matt Letissier, Lawrence Shankland, tomato, tomato. <laughs> the critical point for me is the fact that the offer to Constantine was made initially by Stephen Glass. Is there a potential here that Jim Goodwin 
simply doesn't fancy Andy Considine as a player and feels that he can use the money, the budget, on bringing in players, which, again, is entirely his prerogative as the manager. It's up to him who he wants and doesn't want. But was the, the counteroffer, the opening that the club, Jim Goodwin, needed to move Andy Considine towards the exit door? It's interesting. It's one that I was just thinking as you were talking there, that that might just simply be the case that, you know, maybe Jim Goodwin has left the deal on the table in a sort of almost gentleman's agreement kind of fashion that this has been offered prior. Maybe he doesn't want to interfere at that point. But then when Considine or his agent yeah. come back with this counterproposal, I guess, which is effectively, in a way, I guess, rejecting the original offer from the club, maybe he has just taken that opportunity and... It's, Again, it's, it's in his prerogative to do yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think there's every chance. And the way the language kind of was mentioned about, you know, wanting to arrange for a joint statement to be released today, um, presumably with the intention of setting up perhaps Saturday for a little bit of a celebration of Constantine's career at Aberdeen, which is now gone. You know, that's very hard to see right now, given the, the, um, the nature of that statement that was released by Aberdeen. Yeah, it's an interesting theory, and yeah, Jim Goodwin's showing already that he's prepared to get rid of people, no matter their name, their status, you know. Scott exactly. Brown, Scott Brown is, you know, the biggest name, or was the biggest name in our team, and Jim Goodwin didn't waste any time. He's already made changes to the coaching staff, the heels that are right, he's called people out in public, you know, Jet, for example. Yeah, it's entirely... Entirely within the realms of possibility. That, yeah, it's simply a case of the team needs to evolve and that needs to be, that happens without Andrew Johnson now. And as I've said, I, I've also got no issues if the manager decides that's what he wants to do. Uh, it's, it's entirely his prerogative about who he wants to have at the football club. And I think you're probably right in that sense. I think he's probably looked at it and gone, the deal was already on the table for the guy. I'm not going to withdraw it. I mean, that would be like political suicide for him with his support if he if that was to have happened but with the counter offer it opens the, the door to go we can't do it and the, the thing that then happens is that for me the leaking on tuesday via scott burns it smacks of desperation from an agent who realizes he's probably fucked up a little bit here he's fucked up for his client a little bit by pushing just maybe that bit too far and this is kind of a release at some sort of like attempt to try and either get the club to come back to the table again, because there might be some fan pressure. And you could see that on Tuesday night. Every, not everyone, a lot of people were very passionate about Considine deserves a deal. They should give him a deal. The club's totally in the wrong here. Oh, even continuing into Wednesday morning when the, yeah. I think when the story broke properly, mm-hmm. I think I remember waking up to a text message from Graham. Uh, being like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you could you could sense the um, tribalistic uproar was uh, was in full swing. Absolutely. And then, therefore, just your thoughts on the press release that came out by the club yesterday. Um, my first thought was that this is very reminiscent of a club that play in blue and <laughs> operate in Glasgow and have their press releases dictated to them by Jim Trainer. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was... Tin pot is how I will put it, quite frankly. I thought it was aggressive, and I'm not entirely sure if it needed to be as aggressive as it was. Um, I think um, 
if they wanted to kind of quell things, you can release a statement that says to the effect of, you know, a conversation's been had, terms have not been reached, we're going to keep this all in-house. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that Andrew Constable will not be staying at Aberdeen and that. And then you just kind of deal with the heat for the little bit, little bit of time that it'll be there to come out and be so um, lacking in nuance. Yeah, I don't think it was yeah. not a good look for me. Yeah, it was the lack of nuance for me as well. I was like, there's so much about that alone that I kind of feel like I have to unpack. It's like, there's a massive, heavy dose of hypocrisy right at the very start in the statement, for a start. The idea of the club spitting feathers because it was a leak of a conversation being made is frankly hilarious. Like, I get it. I understand it from the club's perspective. They will not be happy about the fact that they clearly thought they were going to get to a place, um, was it today they were meant to be meeting, I think, to agree a joint statement. Yeah. So they're clearly not happy that that's been snookered. Um, Obviously, the insinuation in the statement is it's the player or his agent who has leaked it to the press. Um, Let's not try and pretend, though, and I think it's really churlish of the club to try and pretend that they don't leak stuff all the time when it suits them. And, and and this is a pattern which has been more apparent since our current chairman's been in charge. Well, I mean, let's be honest, we've been given information that's ahead of time that has come to fruition. So uh yeah, this is not a um this is not a new thing. I mean, to quote um to quote a line from I think either the thick of it or in the loop, you know, leakier than Mel Gibson's Jesus. <laughs> the one I was using with people yesterday was the club's leakier than Lana Wolf. But I'm not sure if we can use that one. It's, it's a bit on the nose, but it's not far from the truth. I mean, even not all that long ago, there was days and days and days worth of stuff in the press about Scott Brown being moved on before it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a stuff about Derek McInnes to Tom English, remember before the game at Hibs in February last year, which was very much a, he's based on the last chance saloon and people on the board have lost faith or enough people on the board have lost faith. There was all that. Um, and it's also pretty hypocritical <laughs> to complain about the confidentiality of a conversation, right? And then in the same statement, put out negotiating positions in terms of pay, which one would also imagine should be confidential. I mean, it's, it's another in a line of a pattern of the club having this insistence for some reason on developing a really aggressive stance with either the media or with dissenting voices around the club. What? So, sorry, I went quiet there. It was two hired goons just came to my door for a minute there. Um, <laughs> it's just... I think, as maybe you tweeted earlier, perhaps someone else did, um, these kind of things didn't happen under Strip Mill. And particularly when Derek McInnes was in charge. Like we, our, our business was kept very in-house. Yeah. All yeah. the time. And when that's consistent, you can become a little bit, you know, frustrated with wondering what's going on behind closed doors, but you just, you know, that's the way things are. And personally speaking, I think that's a, a preferred stance of communication than, than what we're doing right now. You know, I think I much prefer not talking and keep, keeping under the radar as opposed to taking on the full banter year experience. Yeah, and I know we're in different times as well. Somebody made a good point about this yesterday that, you know, things like social media and all that kind of stuff is there, which means I think try to keep everything in-house now is very is much harder than it maybe previously used to be. Um, 
I agree with that to an extent, but at the same time, it's just a level of, for me, it's a cultural thing and it's a professionalism thing within the club that people who have information that is sensitive, whatever it should be, whether it's back in the day where there was no fucking social media or no mobile phones, they still shouldn't be running to a journalist and just spit out there willy nilly. Um, and there was, there was just loads in the statement yesterday I just didn't like. I mean, the insinuation that the leak on Tuesday night had thrown the club and Goodwin under the bus, I was like, I don't understand how that's happened because the club have already made the decision to withdraw from talks. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have to own that decision. And again, I've got no issues with them actually doing that. I don't mind. I think in a way they're probably right to have gone, we can't do that. But I don't like, the, the issue they, the club has here is that they don't get to dictate how this will play out in the press. And that's a pattern that's very evident within the club about any attempt to challenge the narrative is kind of shut down. We saw it with the All for Aurora campaign. You know, if you put your head above the parapet to suggest that maybe this wasn't the best idea, you know, the club kind of spun stuff in such a way that it was kind of made out that you weren't like a real supporter because you weren't on board with this idea. And it's like, people are allowed to have opinions. People are allowed to have thoughts about how things are being operated. Well, I mean, let's bring it back to our... (laughs) 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 Oh, fuck me. (laughs) Let's bring it back to our inspired leaders' (laughs) appearance on Sportsound. Exactly. Where the pish about, you don't care about Aberdeen, I do. It's just, it's yeah, it's such simplistic tribalistic narrative language to make people get on board with it and it's it can get it for like a little bit but then you know as soon as things start to unravel even just the slightest bit you just begin to learn how much you know how sound bitey and ultimately i guess ultimately just how almost meaningless it is yeah well and this is what i get to the next part right this is the bit that blew my mind about yesterday still and it still blows my mind now. And I know that I'm seeing some takes about this this afternoon. And I'm just like, I need to scratch my head about this, but never mind. <clears throat> I really, really, like, <laughs> I was just going to I also still think that the leak comes about because the agent realizes he's made a massive, massive, massive balls up of this. And so he's trying to put pressure on the club to come back to the table again. That's where I think this has happened. I don't think it was done for kind of sinister reasons other than to try and force the club to come back with, with an offer again. I think that's what's happened. But the second part of the statement, I just, just not for me at all, was when they started throwing around the financial details, but doing so in such vague terms and with such, like, it's not emotional, but it's designed to trigger an emotion in the person reading it. When they start talking about six-figure sums and 50% counter-offers, like, for me, I'm sorry, that strikes me as being trying to drive a narrative that the player or the agent is being greedy and I tried to suggest this a few times yesterday on Twitter and people just like not having it and fair enough that's your prerogative but those numbers being thrown around are meaningless when you don't have the context Mm -hmm. like don't get me wrong and and people because again you see those people saying I'd love to be low-balled 100 grand Fuck me, I'd love to be low-balled 100 grand. You know, that's, I completely get that point. But you need to put that into context about what's he currently earning? 
you know, what what does that represent to him as a footballer, as an individual in terms of a pay cut for him at the moment? But don't get me wrong, I still think as a minimum two grand a week for a 35-year-old coming off a bad injury for 12 months with his coaching badges being paid for him and coaching opportunities strikes me as being a good deal. And speaking to people today again who are within that that industry, they're all saying that's very, very, very good money in the SPFL and you'd be amazed to, to think about getting anything close to that. So that was fine. I, like people are right. It's a good offer. It's a, it's a good offer when you look at it on the cold light of day, but the, the whole idea about driving, it's a six figure sum. And then he wanted 50% more. It's designed to make people go, fuck me. What a greedy prick. But again, you need to put that into levels of context. Let's just say for argument's sake, he's on three and a half grand a week at the moment, which wouldn't be outside the realms of possibility. The latest statistics I could find today for average pay for first-team football at Aberdeen Football Club for the 2019-20 season. So it's, it is a little bit dated. The average salary was like 142 grand a year for a first-team player. So obviously that's across the first team. So it's going to be guys earning more. It's going to be guys earning way less. Let's just say, for argument's sake, Andy Constantine has been with the club for he's been with the club for a long time. He's a first-team player at that point. I think that the 142 grand a year works out as being about 2,600, 2,700 pound a week, something in that ballpark. But it's not with the realms of reality to suggest that Constantine could be on about three and a half grand a week or something in that ballpark at the moment. So for him to be offered two grand a week, and let's just say that's because that's what the minimum level would be at, at the six figure sum, it's still a 1,500 quid a week pay cut for him. It's a I mean, yeah, we're dealing with the hypothetical numbers here, but that represents roughly £80,000 lost per year. Yeah, exactly. And then it's that thing about, well, if he wants 50% of the two grand back, that's three grand. He's still losing 500 quid a week in his backer. Don't get me wrong. I still think it's a good offer. Mm-hmm. I still I still think it's a really good offer that's put on the table for him. But banding these numbers around are completely meaningless without understanding what his current is to what he's dropping to and what that represents to him. Mm-hmm. And... In any negotiation, you would normally expect the first offer is going to be a low ball. I'm going to come back in with a number, which I know I'm probably not going to get, and I'll probably end up with something somewhere between. So the difference for Constantine is probably between two and three grand. He's probably going to settle at two and a half or something bath like that, which still would represent a grand a week. It's still 52 grand a year worse off than he is at the moment. Like, I think people need to take, and this is where my big issue with the statement yesterday was put it was because it's it's designed to make people get emotional about he's being a greedy bastard and it's not quite as simple as that no and i just think it was really unnecessary to even talk about the financials i don't yeah. think it it didn't have to be done there was no reason for it to be done other than to drive a narrative in my view that's that that's 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 my view on the situation. Yeah. I don't know where you are with it but almost it was almost to counteract a narrative that wasn't actually even really there when you think about the leak, I don't think the leak mentioned anything to do with money. It just, the leak simply said that they couldn't come to terms on a contract. Yeah. 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 It was, um, it was very, to me, in terms of communication, it was very unprofessional, quite simply put. And that's been a constant theme of the club this year, pretty much ever since we got a professional uh, PR agency on board with the club, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, I think also like something that you could mention in terms of Constantine's position, I think you could look at this with 
a reasonable level of right on his side, and he'll point, and he or his age will point to how much did Scott Brown make when he came in at the same age, and who's contributed more to the club, quite frankly. Well, yeah. On the second point, absolutely. If I was a club player, the first point, I would say, wait, with all due respect, Andy, you've won one League Cup in your entire career. Scott Brown's won everything there is to win in Scottish football multiple times. So, you know, I don't think they're necessarily comparing apples with apples, but it's a fair thought. I mean, you know, he's probably just seen Johnny Hayes obviously sign in another one-year deal. <clears throat> we don't know how much these guys talk, about what sort of money they're on, you know, together or whatever. Who knows? Um, I just think it was an entirely... I just don't think it was reasonable for the club to try and drive a narrative of greed with in relation to a player who's been with us for 18 years. And listen, there's there's lots of things that 18 years signifies to people as well, you know, um, in terms of... Andy's not a world beater, right? No one's going to try and pretend he is. And on the negative side, he's been involved in some of the worst performances and worst games of football I've ever seen. And I'll put that out there. I don't have any issues about saying that. But at the same time, he does represent something to the football club in the sense of we have very few local lads in the first team these days. It feels to me there's less and less coming through. There's certainly less and le- there's certainly less and less who'd then spend their entire career with the club. And part of that could be because he's not been deemed good enough for a transfer somewhere else. You know, let's not be churlish about that either. But in the current game, for somebody to spend 18 years of the same club is is pretty remarkable. And so that that shouldn't be forgotten. Whether you think Andy Constantine is a good, bad, and different footballer, he has spent us he's spent his entire playing career with us. That that counts for something. And it just feels to me it was an entirely unedifying way for the whole saga to have unfolded and to be played out, frankly. I think for my take on Considine as a player, he has, like you say, been here for a long time. I think there's been efforts made to ultimately remove him from the club. And he's fought through all of them to be a mainstay in a team that for a generation will probably go down as the best Aberdeen team you know, in the last in a number of years when uh, when Derek McInnes was in charge, especially, and you know, McInnes loved him, yeah. And there's a reason why he was a part of the team, and he, you know, was able to stay in there, even playing left back position that he grew into, I think, very well. But let's be fair, he was always a centre back. Um, I think he's gotten better with the age. You know, he answered the call of his country when when it needed him, and he performed very admirably yeah he did, scored absolutely. a number of good goals for Aberdeen um a record very good for a, for a defender all things yeah. told I think he'll leave with a lot of certainly more good memories than bad in my mind and yeah I think that word unedifying that's the it's the perfect word to encapsulate my feelings around this this whole saga and when it all comes down to it I don't think anybody not one person other than Jim Goodwin potentially um, comes out of this looking good. No. Like, Andy doesn't come out of it looking good because there's now, like, the club have done, the club's statement yesterday has done its job because you could see this by the reaction on Twitter yesterday afternoon, last night. The number of people who'd completely 180 from the position they were in the night before, which was 
give him two years, give him, give him whatever the fuck he wants. He's Andy Considine to then, what a greedy bastard. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, that complete 180 from so many people. So Andy's, Andy doesn't come out of this looking good at all because of that. Even though, it, realistically, I don't think he's probably done anything wrong, per se. I think his agent looks like a bona fide idiot right about now. And I don't think the club comes out of it looking as good as I think that they think they've come out of it looking good. Like, fine. They've stood their ground and they're showing they're not going to be bullied by agents or players. Great. I'm all for that, for the voice of doubt. I'm, I'm happy with that. But uh, the statement's just amateur stuff. And I just don't understand why it wasn't just along the lines of what you just said earlier on. Like, we're, we were too far apart on a length of deal. Andy, what guaranteed football or assurances on appearances we can't give him that we can't accommodate this we wish him well we move on and that was all it had to be it didn't have to be anything more than that yeah um we we have a pretty good idea that the club are very or the decision makers at the club are very well tuned into uh the online world of aberdeen and i think they will have recognized that yes, as you say, there's a section of people who are did that 180 and are very much now Team Aberdeen again. But yeah, I think they'll have picked up that there's a lot of people out there that are also not very happy with the way they've conducted themselves. Yeah, I think Jim Goodwin's maybe the only person that comes out of this looking decent. And my only wish for this had been actually that there was just a bit more transparency around it. If, if it is the case that he just doesn't fancy him, then, you know, needs to own that decision and move on. And it's his prerogative to do so. Um but in a way, he comes out of it looking good because he looks like the strong manager. He looks like the Fergie-esque, Turnbull-esque manager, not accepting shit from players. You don't want to be here. Off you go. I'm the man. I'm not scared to make difficult decisions. That's fine. And that's and, and again, I'm actually really all for that. It's been... I've, I've said it before. I think we talked about when Johnny Hayes signed his new deal. We've been a comfortable home for too many people for too long as a football club and I'm kind of glad to see that ending now whether this ends in tears for us with Goodwin or whatever I don't think it's a bad thing it's, it's where I am but yesterday was a shit show a complete shit show and it just like I say no one no one comes out of it looking good tell you what, I cannot wait for uh, next season when Constantine is gone <laughs> and Michael Devlin's got another 12 month deal to prove his fitness that's something I, I didn't quite see happening at the end of the beginning of this week, but here, here we I, are. I suspect that won't be the case, but never mind. Um, so th- that's the constant piece. The other bit of news that came out yesterday was the announcement that uh, Texo, not Tesco, not Texas or Texaco, <laughs> Texo, 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 Texo. Hopefully that'll be the, the same two dreams. They're going to be the new shirt sponsors for the next. Three seasons commencing as of next season. Uh, shirt and short sponsors, thank you very much. Well, we'll get into the short bit in a minute. And again, th- this is where I get to. I-, I see so many people today talk about the, the-, the constant thing being like, oh, like, you just have to believe what the club's saying, you know, what's there. And it's like, <clears throat> the statement that came out yesterday, the-, the Texo thing is kind of interesting as well, but interesting because of the fact there's loads of stuff that's not mentioned and the stuff that's, Almost the most important thing to talk about when you're talking about shirt sponsorships and commercial deals, that is absolutely not talked about. So it's a three-year deal, as we talked on. It's described as being a, in inverted commas, unique deal, 
I don't know what that is meant to mean. Uh, techs who are going to enjoy high-profile branding. Um, and their logo is also going on the rear of the shorts. More on that in a minute. Uh, Dave Cormack talked about the fact that this was our most ambitious sponsorship deal. But the things that I think are interesting that are missing is there's no talk about the value of this sponsorship deal compared to the one we've just finished up with with Saltire. And again, if this was a record-breaking the best shirt sponsor we've ever had from a commercial perspective. They'd be shouting about it from the rooftops. So reading between the lines, I think it's fair to suggest that the sole tire deal was financially more beneficial than the Texo deal on a straight like for like comparison. But with all these references to like unique or high profile, the inclusion of the shirt of the, of the rear short sponsor and based on all the fucking leaks that have been going around for the last two or three weeks, there's going to be, there's clearly going to follow up with sleeve, back of the shirt, sponsor, <laughs> the lot. Like, we're going to look like a Formula One driver's overall or something akin to that. And it's just like, I don't know. Again, just, I wish they would just come out and be honest about shit like this. Like, seriously, just. <laughs> I tell you what, though, if they, if they don't, get in an ex-dud striker to market this by aiming a banjo <laughs> on the ex <laughs> at a giant pair of shorts on a cow's arse, then, I mean, you know, club, you can have that one for free. Um, I can't believe, can't believe that part. You can have an ex on the arse of our shorts. Well, this is the thing again, right? It doesn't say it's going to be in the arse. It just says uh, in the rear. Uh, right? It may as well be. But of course, again, see about messaging. See, we're like, now, this is where it becomes a laugh because you've got Fit by Tweets doing the, the image of them all with the X's on their arse. It's like, that's the first thing you think about. What I guarantee it'll probably just be a little X on the back of the leg or something, right? But everyone now is like, uh, X marks the spot and, you know, you can't hit the arse with a banjo and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, fuck me, man. Like, honestly, what a mess. Um, on a positive note, at the moment, and I'm going to caveat this on the moment, it wasn't like an NFT or a Bitcoin outfit on the front of the shirt. I'm treading carefully here in case one of them ends up on the back of the sleeve or something. Um, <laughs> or it's not a gambling firm, so that's that's positive. Thumbs up for that, guys. All I can presume, though, is that the boy at Texo, who they wheeled out for the <clears throat> press release, hasn't actually watched Aberdeen at any point recently because... They try, I love this word salad, corporate bingo bullshit that gets put in these things. Talking about how there's similarities between business and synergies between our businesses because Aberdeen have dynamic, creative thinkers and problem solvers. And I'm like, you've clearly not watched this this season, have you, mate? Because if you have, I'd love you to point me in the direction of our dynamic, creative thinking problem solvers. What are you trying to say about Henry Appleu? We can't solve the problem that is Charlie fucking Adam. <laughs> Tell you what, though, I love the use of the word synergy. That's uh, that reminds me of my university thesis. Yeah, I'm just going to do the kind of the, the 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 hand movement there. Just when in doubt, talk about synergy. <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> just I don't know. Like, fine, welcome on board, Tech. So we'll see what happens with that. But again, it's just like the smoke and mirrors thing. It just grates me to a huge extent. And there's way more stuff out there as well, Ethan, which I can't even possibly think about talking about on here with regards to how the, the previous deal came to an end. But if any of that's got a remoteness of being true about it, 
then this entire thing is just another example of like our club's not in the best of shape it's fair to say in relation to the way it's perceived amongst the local business community the local business community Scottish <laughs> on a whole and the uh, support so it's not doing it's not going great really is it you said something earlier on about like the club being a safe space right tell you mm-hmm. what it's not been a fucking safe space for the supporters this season <clears throat> now we've we've had to deal with the brunt of this it's been hard going indeed anyway no we're nearly there we're nearly there that's it we're nearly there we're nearly there and, and what do we decide to do that's right we'll, we'll stick another episode out just to really you know <laughs> All right. I think we should maybe end on a, a slightly positive note and make <laughs> mention of the Theo Schnelders Paul Mason night. Yeah. At Audrey tomorrow night with Ali Beg. I believe there might be tickets still available. I think there are. Yeah, I think there are. So uh, if you've not got any plans tomorrow night, then hit that up. It's going to be a good night. Get yourself along. You can even buy your ABZFP management team a beer or two if you really want to. Just a suggestion. Good luck identifying us, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, should be a good night. Uh, it'd be good to catch up with uh, Teal and Paul, previous guests of the show. Maybe I can not snub Teal this time like I did all the way back in 1992. It's coming full circle. Yes, maybe he'll snub me. <laughs> Great stuff. We'll catch you next time on the ABZFP. Thanks, Gav. Thank you very much. Stan free.